Hey, what's going on, all you fiction peddlers out there? Today's show is brought to you by our dear friends over at Zipix Toothpicks. You know, I love these guys, and I'm very happy to have them on board. I think their product is really cool and very effective. These are nicotine-infused flavored toothpicks to help curb those nicotine cravings that all you smokers get out there from time to time. Now, I'm not even a smoker myself. However, they also have B12 and caffeine-infused toothpicks to help you catch that little caffeine buzz that you need if you need a little pick-me-up from time to time, like I needed on the last episode. Unfortunately, I didn't have any of those toothpicks handy down here because they don't ship to Mexico, at least not yet. But if you're in the continental United States, go to ZipixToothpicks.com. Use my promo code FICTION for 10% off your order. They have six different flavors, I believe. I'm really into the whiskey one. I think that's a cool idea. But these are just great. You know, you still get that hand to mouth feel that you get with a cigarette or a vape pen or something like that. So you get your oral fixation taken care of. You can do them indoors on public transportation right next to somebody. It doesn't matter. They're not even going to know that you're sucking on a nicotine toothpick and, and getting that fix. They're cleaner than cigarettes. They're cheaper than all of the other over the counter alternatives, the gum, the patch, and they're much easier to control how how much nicotine you're taking in. If you don't want the whole thing, you can just put it back in, in a little case and save it for later. And let's face it, guys, we all know that smoking is a disgusting habit. This is a perfect alternative to smoking, especially if you're out at dinner, you're with a nice lady, you want to impress her, you don't want to, you don't want to be smelling like cigarettes and tasting like cigarettes when that night comes to an end. So get yourself some Zipix toothpicks. Go to zipixtoothpicks.com. That's Z is in zebra, I-P-P-I-X.com. Promo code fiction for 10% off and you can start curbing those nicotine cravings in a clean and concise manner today. All right, let's start the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What is up? What is up, everybody? Happy Friday. Welcome back to the Peddling Fiction Podcast, your favorite ANCAP libertarian podcast. I, of course, am your host, the one and only voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita, broadcasting once again deep behind enemy lines here in sunny, hot Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. It's a, a wonderful day. It's been a busy day for me. My God, I haven't had a free second, although I did go down to the pool for about 45 minutes earlier. I'm trying to squeeze this episode in before our bi-weekly happy hour, which is taking place in a little over an hour and 15 minutes from now. So we'll see how quickly I can get through the, the episode today because um, I, I do want to get that out tonight. Hopefully I can get this episode wrapped and um, edited and out before then, although that there's a slim chance of that. It kind of depends on how much rambling I do today and how well I do it. But um, I'm actually dog-sitting for a friend of mine, just this lovely golden doodle, who's very well-behaved, by the way. You know, 
she actually shits on command. Now, I've never seen anything like this before. And I thought I thought my friend was bullshitting me when she's like, hey, you know, um, all you have to do is just uh, say baño, baño, baño. And she'll go to the bathroom. I thought she was talking about like when you get ready to go for a walk, you know, you say something so that they, they get all excited to go for a walk or something. But no, no, I, I I was walking her earlier. And this is why I'm I'm starting the show a little late because we were going forever on this walk and she was not doing her business. And I'm not going to be able to take her out until much later tonight. And I'd like to go out tonight as well. It is Friday night. So after the happy hour thing, I plan on tripping the night fantastic. But so, yeah, I've been walking her around for like 25, 30 minutes or something. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. I, so I was like, oh, yeah, just say baño, 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 baño. And boom, she just walks over the grass and takes a shit. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. One of the best trained dogs I've ever seen. Perhaps not the best, but I've never seen a dog that will shit on command like that. You just, I guess you got to be careful when you use the command. But um, so anyway, I, I'm dog sitting. That's what I've been doing for the last uh, day or so. And it looks like I'm going to be stuck with her a little longer than I had anticipated. My friend is in Mexico City, and I guess she's getting stuck there for a, an extra day or so. But oh, the, the reason I brought that up is while I was walking her, you know, I was just I was listening to a podcast and it ended and it just automatically just starts scrolling through all the, the new episodes that I have loaded, I guess. And my episode, my last episode came on and I just I had like my phone, but it was in like a case and it was in my pocket and I had my hands full. So I didn't I didn't uh, turn it off. So I ended up listening to almost the, the whole episode that I did. And um, I don't normally do that. I, I, I don't normally listen to an episode after I drop it unless I'm just doing some editing or something like that. But my God, I think I set the record. I mean, I know I swear a lot. But I think every it seemed like every other word out of my mouth was fucking this or fucking that. And <laughs> I just I apologize. I don't know if that bothered anybody else, but it was really bothering me. And I hope I don't always swear that much. I mean, I know I have a tendency to do that, but I think I like I said, I was just kind of exhausted at the end of the day. And so my um, my vocabulary just gets lazier and lazier as, as the night progressed. And I just I guess I just leaned on the um, the most convenient word to roll off my tongue. So I am a little embarrassed about that. I was I was definitely a um a low energy Johnny <laughs> the other night and um it was definitely present in the in my word choice. I think the episode, I don't know, you guys tell me what you thought. I thought it was a pretty decent episode, but I um I I, I do apologize for being a little tired and low energy jebbish. That's uh slightly embarrassing, but Anyway, it's Friday. I have much more energy tonight, um, today, I guess, even though I didn't sleep that well. I, I woke up a bunch of times throughout the night, and I was pretty tired earlier today, but I, I drank some coffee. It's Friday. I'm getting getting a little pumped here. We get the, the happy hour starting in about an hour, so got some things to look forward to. And it's the weekend, and this week just kicked the shit out of me, so I'm excited to get a couple days off here. So since it's Friday, I have a little bit of a lighter episode planned here. I I know I there was some shooting at a FedEx I just saw the headline for. I don't want to, you know, go over that that sort of shit today. I, I want to keep this a little lighthearted. I, I, was, I saw so many headlines today of articles that are just very indicative of the um the bubblicious state of the US economy. And I'm just going to run through some of these head. Well, actually, you know, before we get that, let's just let's back up for a second, because there's um, I, I do want to address this whole uh, Joe Biden 
claiming that he's going to pull out of Afghanistan by uh, September 11th. You know, we had so Donald Trump had the uh, May 1st deadline for troop withdrawals. And, you know, I, I still can't believe we we keep going through all of this. Like this is the longest running war in American history. It's been what, 20 fucking years now. And they, they keep coming up with these arbitrary deadlines like uh, May 1st. Okay. Why, why couldn't we do it January 1st? Like what, what happened between January 1st and May 1st? That was monumental that we just, we couldn't pull out then because you know, we were going to accomplish all of this stuff in the next five months or for that matter, last year, or the year before that. Like, what are we going to do over there anytime now? What are we going to do over there now that we couldn't get done over the last 20 fucking years, or however long it's been? I don't, I don't know the exact date, but you you guys see my point. They're, they always find some stupid excuse to stay over there. And why Joe Biden is is pushing this this May 1st deadline now to September 11th seems like just a, a strictly... And this is like this is so not only politician-y, but just so um, left wingish to me. Like, oh god, there's this fucking drain in this in this uh, room that I'm in. There, there's always some fucking obstacle to recording. I don't know if you guys can hear that. I I just tried to to muffle it with some towels or something, but they, every every like twenty minutes or so, you just hear this gurgling noise from this drain. I don't know how like Mexican plumbing works, but. There are all sorts of fucking obstacles to recording here, but hopefully uh, it's not too distracting. But anyway, what I was saying, this seems this is such a left wingish thing to do where it's like the virtue signaling thing where it's just this symbolic gesture and and politician in the sense that, okay, so it's like September 11th and now we have like this anniversary of the, the reason why we allegedly started all these wars. And and it just looks nice on paper, you know, and you can it, to have like the anniversary date or something. But it's just an empty gesture. And why not? Why not just do it now? Just do, at least stick to the May first deadline. I mean, what? Why would you be willing to risk like what could possibly go wrong over there? Who knows? It, it, you know, if it was me and I wasn't like a a psychotic uh, sociopath politician, I would feel just awful if one more innocent person or one more tr uh, troop died from May 1st to September 11th died lost a limb who, who knows and even even the ones that don't you know take physical damage have mental damage all these people over the next you know five six months they who knows what's going to happen to them mentally they, they could go fucking crazy and and end up killing themselves later on these wars are unmitigated disasters. They're illegal wars. They're immoral wars. They're pointless wars. The the idea that we were going to nation build or make the world safe for democracy or whatever the fuck they're trying to do over there in, in Afghanistan. I mean, this is this is nonsense. And the idea that like we can't pull out May first, but we can pull out by September eleventh is just a bunch of political bullshit political bullshit that's all this is and people are going to die and people are going to have their lives ruined over some symbolic gesture so that joe biden can have like a press conference on september 11th and a celebratory um thing you know like the the bush uh, mission accomplished thing he can do that on september 11th and like pay have this huge tribute thing or something
this is ridiculous. And the you know the Taliban has come out and threatened you know that there there'd be a nightmare for U.S. troops if they stay past the May first deadline. Whether or not that's a hollow threat, I don't know. But first of all, I don't even believe that we're gonna pull out by September 11th. I I, I don't I don't believe this for a fucking second. I'll believe it when I see it. I'm not gonna hold my breath. The, they just kick the can down the road. This is like raising the debt ceiling, you know? This is what they do. They, you know, they, they come up with this target, and they're like, okay, well, this is going to be our deadline. This is, this is it. This far, no further. And then that deadline comes, and they push it back a little farther. Okay, May 1st, we can't do it by then. But September 11th, we'll have it done. And September 11th will come and go, and they'll find some other bullshit reason to stay there. And the corporate press will back them 100%. They will push the propaganda on the American people. It it does go back to this idea of representative government as well. Nobody, nobody wants to be fighting these wars. Not the American people, at least. Obviously, there's uh, politicians that are getting fucking rich off of this. There are weapons companies that are getting rich off of this whole fucking boondoggle. The entire military-industrial complex, everybody involved in that, absolutely they want to perpetuate the, the, these endless wars. They're making billions of dollars, hands over hand over fist. But the American people that that vote for these politicians, they don't want these wars. And that's why every politician that runs over the last you know 20 years, 30 years, has been against these wars, has been, you know, talking about not using the, the you know, George W. Bush talked about not using the military to nation build. Uh, Barack Obama talked about ending the wars. Uh, Trump was going to end the wars. Now Biden says he's going to pull out of um, Afghanistan by uh, September 11th. I hope so. I hope so. That would make him one of the most successful presidents in the last uh, 20 years, in my opinion. Um, Because, I mean, they're all just fucking terrible on everything else. Monetary policy, they're terrible. Uh, Foreign policy, they're all terrible. Domestic policy, they're terrible. They've all just been unmitigated disasters. One just worse than the other. Although I don't know, George Bush probably the, the worst of all of them. But if he can actually, if he actually does this, and he actually pulls all the fucking troops, all the special forces, like none of this thing where we leave behind these little teams that are gonna go around fucking terrorizing people. Um, no, it it all has to be gone. We we just marched in, like Ron Paul said, we just march out. If he does that by September 11th, um, I. I will, you know, he will get all the the credit that is due there from me. But man, I I really just do not have any faith in this. I I don't think, um, I I don't think there's any political will to to get rid of these wars, despite the fact that all the American people want want out of these wars. We have way too many fucking problems going on domestically to worry about, uh, you know, some sandbox on the other side of the fucking world that. Almost, I guarantee you, if you gave Americans a test, 80% of the people could not find Afghanistan on a map. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. This has nothing to do with us. This never has. This never was. It's not a, you know, they're not a threat to us. They're not a threat to our freedom. This is all just political nonsense. And it really has to stop. I mean, it's not only bankrupting us, but it's just... It's just awful what we've been doing to, to this part of the world. There is no way to win this. There is no victory. There is no success. There is just a failure after failure after failure. And I unfortunately, I really have a feeling that this is just going to continue in perpetuity. I don't know how um, 
how we get out of this. I mean, if it has to be on some bullshit symbolic thing that we the deadline's now September 11th, I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. But man, I, I really hope he sticks to this. I just don't think that he's going to. And um, with that being said, I guess I will move on here to our uh, bubblicious economy. These these headlines, you know, I was just perusing the uh, the interwebs today, this afternoon, when I had a, a little bit of free time. And the first headline I saw was a 76% rise in stocks since the March low. Uh, that's the March low of last year when the, the lockdown started because of COVID. Is the third largest jump in 100 years. Okay, so we've had a 76% rise in the stock market since we locked down the country. Since basically the world locked down. Now, just think about that, okay? Think, keep, hold on to that. Keep that in the back of your head. There are now, here's another headline I, I thought was interesting. There are now more real estate agents than homes for sale in the U.S. That sounds a little bubbly, a little frothy there. The highly anticipated fantasy series, Lord of the Rings, on Amazon is going to cost $465 million for just one season. And my favorite story of the day, well, actually, before that, we have a, a single New Jersey deli is doing $35,000 in sales. It's valued at $100 million in the stock market. Now, now these IPOs are just fucking insane. They, they have been, and we'll, we'll go over that in a little bit. And then my favorite headline uh, that I saw today, Dogecoin spikes 400% in a week, stoking fears of a cryptocurrency bubble. You, you think you think that a, a cryptocurrency that started as a joke that popped from it was around like seven cents last time I checked it and it, it got up to 45 cents the other day. I think it's pulled back to around 30 now. Full disclosure, I did just for the hell of it throw some money at Dogecoin when it was like two and a half or I think it was two and a half cents a coin. And I just thought it'd be funny to make some money off of a fake joke of a cryptocurrency. And so, uh, yeah, when that when that jumped to like nine cents, I took half my position off. So I'm just fucking around with house money here. I'll see if it goes to the moon. But here's the thing. The reason I put some money into Dogecoin has nothing to do with what Dogecoin is or what it could be used for or cryptocurrency or anything like that. It's because I thought it would be funny. And I knew I knew this is a bubble and the odds of it, you know, going up from two and a half cents were pretty good. The, the odds, you know, just because uh, it, it's a stupid fad and people jump on board. It had nothing to do with market fundamentals or anything like that. Any analysis I did. No, no. It was just, this is funny. Let, let's let's see how high this stupid cryptocurrency goes. Because there's like 10,000 of these things now. It really is just the perfect metaphor or microcosm of what's going on with the economy here. People just throwing money at the wall and seeing what sticks. Oh, that's the other thing. The uh, oh, the, I think I lost that art. Oh no, I have it here. SpaceX, SpaceX wins a two point nine billion dollar contract to return to the moon on the same day Musk's favorite cryptocurrency also moons. There's no doubt that Elon Musk is going to send a fucking Dogecoin to the moon and plant it there, and that's just going to be fucking hilarious. But anyway, I mean, like these headlines are all over the place. And you're, you're seeing these signs that just they don't make any sense. There's a huge disconnect with reality here. I mean, let's go back to the stock market thing, right? I mean, what is the stock market telling us here? What is the stock market supposed to tell us? I mean, because we are at all time highs in the stock market and we got this 76% rise, the third largest jump 
in a century because we've all of a sudden become more productive. These companies are more profitable and we've been manufacturing stuff and, and building things. And no, no, we, we've been locked down for the last year. Most companies have gone out of business. They're still shut down. We have millions of people unemployed still. There, I, I saw another headline that I, I didn't pull up, but it was like 42% of businesses can't fill job openings that they have because pe the government's paying people not to work. We got people on unemployment, these uh, stimulus checks coming in, an extra 600 bucks a week or 400 bucks a week, whatever it is. This is the result of one thing, and it's the thing that we have to end. That is the Fed. This is, this is one gigantic debt-fueled bubble of cheap money created out of thin air by the Federal Reserve and pumped into the stock market. And this is intentional. There's all this talk about, you know, we need to build an economy. You know, we need to build an economy that works for everybody from the ground up and that builds the middle class out and all this, th these nonsensical platitudes that don't make any sense. Okay, you don't build an economy. This is not something that can be done with a bullhorn, like somebody up on a, uh, a roof somewhere barking out orders, organizing society. No, that's one of the reasons that socialism fails, because they try to direct the economy as if one person or one group of people has the knowledge uh, to do all of that. It, it, that's not how it works. The, the economy is not like um, this thing that's built by design. It's just all it is is millions of people acting in their own self-interest. That, that's basically what it is on a voluntary basis and, and figuring out the best use of a limited amount of resources. We have scarce resources, they are limited, and we need to find the most efficient use of them. And that's what the economy is doing over and over and over again. It, it's people vying for, for resources because they think they have a better use for it. And if you're making a profit, that means that you're being a good steward of those resources. And if you're not making a profit, that's the economy telling you that you're doing a shit job and you need to stop. But what politicians like to do and what the Fed is enabling them to do with their cheap money printing and their artificially low interest rates is create this illusion of growth. And it makes everybody feel good. Like you're, you're looking at your portfolio, you're up 76% over a year. Okay. You buy some Dogecoin and you're up fucking 400% this week. Okay. You feel rich. Everything seems like it's good because you're high. You're high on the, the Fed supply. You're, you're high on cheap money. But just like any other high, like any other drug, it will wear off. And once it wears off, unless you're a superhuman like me, in, in Mexico, there, there's this running joke because I've never had a hangover here, ever. Like, not even close. And like, if I, believe me, if I drank or or did any like half of what I do here back in Chicago or back in any other state I would be on my deathbed for days just writhing in pain but here you know I can go out all night I can drink like a fish get 2 hours of sleep and just be you know ready to rock at, at 7 a.m. the next morning I don't I can't explain it I don't know what it is but for most normal people once you uh once that drunkenness wears off once that high wears off, you get the hangover, and that's your that's your body's way of purging all of those toxins that you injected into it the night before. And you can get high again, and you'll it, it just might take more of the drug that that got you high to 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 maintain that euphoria. But eventually, it's going to take so much of the drug that you're you're going to end up overdosing and you're going to kill yourself.
Okay, you can't just um, get high. You know, you can't just take heroin over and over and over again. Every time you start to come down, you inject yourself with more and expect that to be a sustainable lifestyle. It's not. It feels great while you're high and everything seems good. You know, 76% rise and everything's all hunky-dory until that, um, that drug wears off. And then you have some very, very serious problems to deal with. And if you don't deal with them in a healthy way and allow the recession to take its course, to purge all of those toxins from the economy that were injected into it by the Federal Reserve, by the government, if you do not let the uh, the, the hangover cure that and you just keep injecting more drugs, you will kill yourself. You will kill this economy. And it seems like we're hell-bent on doing that because there is no end in sight to the amount of money that the Fed is just going to pump into this stock market. This is their stated goal. That's what QE was all about. Uh, and, and they've just been doing that ever since. Their stated goal was to create a wealth effect in the stock market by buying up all of these um, mortgage-backed securities and, and bonds every every month. They were buying like, you know, $85 billion or something total. And that, and that was the goal, to, to get your portfolio up, to make you feel rich on paper. And the other thing that you see when, um, when you're manipulating interest rates are all the things that people borrow money to do. Th- there's bubbles in those. That's why we have... <laughs> You know, more real estate agents than homes for sale in the U.S. How else would you explain that? Uh, people out of work, um, n- no end in sight to this whole pandemic thing, and the real estate market has surged into 2021 as newly cash flush U.S. citizens, thanks to the slew of government money, leave cities to look to settle down in the suburbs. To say this is from the article I'm reading here, to say that the market is running hot would be a vast understatement, and this, of course, has resulted in an influx of new realtors. In fact, as the Wall Street Journal reports, there are now more real estate agents than homes for sale in the U.S. It marks only the second time in history the National Association of Realtors count uh, member count is above the number of homes on the market. The other time was not actually pre-2008. It was in December of 2019, which is interesting. But again, this is this is kind of the result of a few things. Interest rates being artificially low, like impossibly low interest rates. I'm in the middle of a refi now that I'm, I'm basically getting free money to, 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 you know, 3%, 3.8, and something like that. I've seen I've seen interest rates as low as 2% on a fucking house. That is uh that is just fucking insane. Inflation is running way higher than that. Uh but the other thing is that people are leaving these cities. The cities like uh Minnesota that are on fire right now because of rioters. Th- this is putting a lot of upward pressure on, on the housing market, but these prices are inflated because the interest rates are so low. And all of this cheap money that people are getting, all of these checks that they're getting from the government for doing nothing. It's all got to go somewhere. And, you know, things like this uh, New Jersey deli, the, the single location. I mean, this is this is unbelievable, right? One New Jersey deli, the Paulsboro, New Jersey based your hometown deli is the sole location for hometown international it has an eye popping value despite totaling thirty five thousand seven hundred dollars and seven hundred and forty eight dollars in sales in the last two years combined according to their securities filing. So in two years, they made about 36 grand. That's it. That's it. And their market cap is $100 million. I mean, these valuations are just insane. Absolutely insane. These IPOs are ridiculous. I mean, it used to be the way an IPO would work is that like you would have a, like let's say you had a restaurant like this, this New Jersey sub place, right? 
And you were very successful. You made more than fucking $16,000 last year. Okay. And you, you had a very good year. And you, you want to replicate it. Like you want to pour gasoline on that fire. So you would go public, right? You would have you would have an IPO. You would take on investors and you'd say, you go to these investors and you say, look, look how successful this one location is. Give me a bunch of money. I can set up more of these locations all around the world or the world or the country. And each one will be as successful as this one. And we can multi, we could 10x this motherfucker. That's what an IPO is supposed to be. Now, what they've become is these, these failing companies that never turn a profit. They never make any money, but they have a lot of users. And the reason they have a lot of users is because it's a free application or something, or it's really underpriced, like, um, like these uh, food delivery services and stuff like that. So the, these companies lose money hand over fist, billions of dollars every fucking quarter, right? sometimes hundreds of billions of dollars a quarter, depending on how big they are. And these, you know, you get these uh, venture capitalists, right, that are, that are throw the money in early and they'll keep funding this thing until they can go public. And since we have this bubble economy where everyone, you know, everyone's jumping on these IPOs, that's instead of taking a, a business model that, that works on a small scale and trying to uh, put it on to, into a larger scale and 10 exit, you're taking a company that doesn't work on a small scale and you're letting, you're letting suckers in the market invest in it. You know, idiots that have no idea what they're doing, buying these like failing companies that have never turned a profit and never will. The dumb money comes in and the smart money that funded these failing companies cash out. They cash out on the IPO, and that's when they make their fucking millions. That's not how this is supposed to work. This is like ass backwards. It should be the exact opposite, right? You um you don't cash out at the IPO. You take that money that comes in, and you use that to build out the company. You put the money into the company. You don't pull it out and, and take your money and go home. But that's what everybody's doing now. That That's the new thing to do. You, you, you put money into a failing company, and then you cash out on the IPO when you get all these suckers to come in and invest. Let's take a quick break and thank our other sponsor for today's show, and that is the Lucky Guy Bakery. I love these brownies. They are handmade with only the freshest ingredients. They are not too sweet. They are not too salty. They are just chocolatey, fudgy, and delicious. And they've got a bunch of different types of, like, they're almost like cookie brownies. You know those, like, skillet cookie things that you can order for dessert at some places. It's like a square of that. If you're not into dark chocolate or something like that, they've got an oatmeal, uh, a peanut butter one that, that people go crazy over. They got a blondie. They've even got a vegan one and a uh, gluten-free one, which I, I tasted the gluten-free one and I couldn't, if you didn't tell me, I wouldn't have known that it was gluten-free. They're just great. Um, and, and just a, a great little small business run by a libertarian who's a fan of this show and just a great, great person. And you get a handwritten note with the order, which is just a nice touch. Anytime you're sending somebody a gift, if you could, you could write exactly what you want them to say, and they will write it by hand and send it out. And it's just a great little personal touch added to these things. So go to the luckyguybakery.com. Use my promo code P as in peddling, F as in fiction, 20, and you'll get 20% off your order. Do that right now. Buy a bunch of these brownies and give them out to the people that you care about. That is the Lucky Guy Bakery. PF20 is the promo code, and you'll get 20% off. All right, let's get back into the show. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just sorry, I'm reading through this article. David Einhorn, he's a hedge fund manager. He was the one talking about this. 
And when they reached $113 million in February, <laughs> Einhorn said that the pastrami just must be amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, how do you justify that? How do you justify these these cryptocurrency prices? I mean, uh, Bitcoin, I had the chart up. Let me pull it up here because it, it just broke out. Now it's pulled back a little bit. But um, yeah, it, it broke above. Uh, I think the, the previous high was around 58,000 or something. And it was bumping up against resistance there. And it, it just broke out above above that. It got to, let's see here, the full featured chart. Sorry about that. Didn't have this up ready to go. But yeah, once it once it broke above, it broke above and closed above 58,000 level. And you guys, um, anybody that's taken the uh, the webinar I did, actually it was 57.5. The, the, the ultimate high was 58.3, 58,336. So once it broke above that, that was the highest high. It broke above that, it closed at 61,158. And that, I mean, the chart looks good. The The fundamentals to me don't look very good. I, I, I don't see any justification for this costing $60,000 for a Bitcoin. But the chart to me technically looks fantastic. We made a, a new structure high there. We pulled back down into previous structure support. And we got a nice little uh, rally out of that. And we made a new structure high at 63000 uh, just uh, two days ago. 63,615. And uh, then it pulled back down into a uh, previous structure there at about 60,000. And it looks like it's at about 61.5 right now. So that this is just a classic structure that we've gone over um, on the on the webinar that I did for you guys. It, it looks good. That That's one of the reasons why I don't trade fundamentals. I only trade uh, technically because I mean, my brain's telling me one thing and my eyes are seeing another. This chart looks like it could it could just keep going. But man, mentally, I, I can't envision a reason why somebody would pay $60,000 for a Bitcoin. That being said, uh, yeah, there's probably a bubble there and people are getting free money and they're, they're throwing it at these things. Dogecoin, I mean, this thing started as a joke and it's uh, it's, it's worth $40 billion. 40 billion for a Dogecoin. Uh, I mean, that's the market cap, but it's risen 400% in the last week uh, on nothing. Not, nothing's changed. Nothing's happened. This is like, um, this is the euphoria. This is the the popular delusion and the madness of crowds. People are crowding into these these areas and, and you get people, you know, like I'm, I'm talking to some of my friends here and they have like no idea what cryptocurrency is how it works, anything like that. But the, one of their friends said, hey, you, you should do that. Like, they, you know, you have these Bitcoin bugs and they're, they're coming over to their house and they're helping them set up um, wallets and everything and showing them how to buy them. Uh, this is like the, uh, you know, the, the stories that you'd hear back in like the, uh, the dot-com bubbles where you're getting stock tips from a cab driver that we are like way past that point. We got like 12-year-olds giving you advice now uh, on things to buy. And none of this makes any sense from a fundamental perspective. The economy has never been weaker from uh, just a pure economics, Austrian economics perspective. This economy is an unmitigated disaster. And even if we open everything back up and some of these places that, are, that haven't gone out of business go back into business, we're still just getting back to where we were a year, a year ago, two years ago. But, but the market's at all-time highs. This doesn't make any sense unless you understand the role that this monetary policy is having on it. So this is a um, this is a very dangerous game we're playing. This is a, a recipe for disaster. You need to be very cautious and very careful with with how you approach these markets. Now, the the stock market may never go down again. Like I don't know how if um, if there's going to be a major correction 
nominally, but in terms of your purchasing power, that the inflation is going to come. Uh, the inflation is already there. The effect of it is going to come, okay? The inflation is the expansion of the money supply. The effect of it is going to be how much you can buy with the dollars that you have. Now, I don't think there's any way that the stock market can keep pace with the inflation that's going to come down the pike, but you may not see your stocks drop that much. They might they might keep going up, inching up here and there, but the, uh, the decline in your purchasing power is going to far outweigh that, so keep that in mind when you're making your investments there. Oh, and uh, speaking of just stock market bubbles and recessions and everything, we did, you know, I, I recorded the last episode Tuesday night. I released it Wednesday morning. But Wednesday, I believe, is when Bernie Madoff died in, or at least the news of his death was was released. He died in prison. I think he was 82 years old. And for those of you uh, younglings out there that, that don't remember Bernie Sanders or, or Bernie Sanders, Bernie Madoff, or, or were too young uh, to, to remember that, he was the, uh, the infamous Ponzi scheme operator that met his maker during the uh, 2008 financial collapse. He was running what was deemed the world's largest Ponzi scheme in the history of the world. And he'd been doing it for decades, right under the nose of the uh, regulators, you know, these financial regulators, these thousands and thousands of pages of financial regulation that the government says that we need. And of course, the inept government uh, rating agencies and uh, regulatory agencies, they all missed this year after year. He was audited. They didn't catch it because they're fucking idiots. They're government operatives. I mean, if they were any good at their jobs, they wouldn't be regulators. They wouldn't be in that, that job. They would be running a hedge fund or something like that. So it, it just goes to show you how worthless all of these uh, regulatory agencies are and the uh, the rating agencies and everything like that. You know, it gives people a false sense of security. If there was no regulatory uh, body, you know, if there was no FINRA, if there was no uh, SEC, and, and you know, uh, people might not have this false sense of security that okay, Bernie Madoff, like the, he got the um, the seal of approval from all these government regulatory bodies, he, he must be legit, and maybe they do a little more due diligence and and think that you know somebody would have figured out what he was doing. But ultimately, the the irony is here: the irony that no, no government or, or status will ever admit is that all of the financial regulation, all of the regulatory bodies, all they you know, they they could be up his ass for decades, and he could just find a way around it. But what he couldn't find a way around, what he could not avoid, was a market collapse. And the, the market fundamentals came back to bite him in the ass, and he started to get a bunch of redemptions. And the way a Ponzi scheme works, for those of you uh, who have been living under a rock, or just, uh, I don't know, maybe you don't uh, abla finance, but the reason, the, the way a Ponzi scheme works is you take money from investors and you tell them that you're going to invest that money in an appreciable asset. So their money's going to grow over time and you then you'll be able to pay them out more money than they put in, right? But of course, you don't actually invest that money. You keep it and you buy huge mansions in New York and you go on fancy trips and everything like that. And anytime you need to pay off one of the, the investors that says they want their money back, well, then you find a new pool of investors and you take their money from them and you give it to the old investors. That's essentially how a Ponzi scheme works. And the reason it's illegal is because it can't work because the money's never invested in, a, in an appreciable asset. So it's guaranteed to collapse eventually. You can never keep the, the thing going as long as in perpetuity. Eventually, you're going to run out of uh, new investors to fund the old investors. 
So when the, the market took a dive in 2008, he got a bunch of redemptions and he just didn't have the money to pay it all out. And so he had to come clean. And they sentenced him to like, I don't know, like eight lifetimes in prison or something like that. You know, I remember he was doing this interview from his prison cell and the um, the reporter asked him something about like, you know, how, you know, what was he, how did he feel to run the, the world's largest Ponzi scheme? And he, I'll never forget his answer because it was, it was so candid and funny to me because he's like, I, I'm not running the world's largest Ponzi scheme. The U.S. government is. And I don't remember if, I don't remember what happened after that. Um, I don't know if the reporter asked him to elaborate on it or not, but I can elaborate on it for you because what he was getting at, and and I remember a bunch of other, you know, reporters and everything sort of writing this off, be like, oh, well, what, what does he know? He's, you know, he's Bernie Madoff. He's a lying scumbag piece of shit, right? That may be true, but if there's one thing that he knows about, the one thing he's good at, it's running a Ponzi scheme, and I would think he'd be able to know one when he sees it. And pointing out that the government is running the world's largest Ponzi scheme is 100% true. They're, they're running at least two of the world's largest Ponzi schemes. If you want to consider you know, Medicaid and Medicare on there as well, I, I would probably let that slide. But the, the, the first one, obviously, it, that I've talked about before on the show is Social Security which is just the the like one of the worst ponzi schemes ever. It's uh it's racist, it's sexist, it's ageist, it's just horrible and it's actually worse than a ponzi scheme because you can't opt out of it. At least you know if you were in Bernie uh Bernie Madoff's uh ponzi scheme and you figured out that it was a ponzi scheme, you could pull your money out. You can get out of that. Hopefully before it collapse, but this the the social security, we're forced into it at gunpoint. You, you have no choice but to pay into this Ponzi scheme. And literally what they do is they force us, us workers, us young people, the people who have usually far less money than the old people collecting the Social Security. They're in far um, far less secure financial situations. A lot of young people don't own a house. They don't have a car. They don't have any assets or anything. They just have a job and they're living paycheck to paycheck. And one of the reasons for that is because a good portion of their paycheck is going to these old fucks that have retired that paid far less into the system, by the way. And they have houses. They have, they have a vacation house. They got a couple cars. They, they're, and they're, they're taking money from young people to maintain a lifestyle that is just way beyond what they actually need. And when Social Security first started, of course... Um, not only was it ruled uh, unconstitutional by the Supreme Court because it generally it, it violated the general welfare clause because you're taking money from one portion of society and giving it to another. You can't do that. But of course, you, you pack the Supreme Court, then you can get away with anything. But it started out as 1%, 1% from you, 1% from your employer. Now I think it's about 7.5% from you and 7.5% from your employer. And of course, your employer factors that into your salary when they're hiring you. It, it just goes into the total cost of your employment. And if it were up to them, all else being equal, I'm sure they'd rather give you the 7.5% than the government. So really, the full 15% is coming from you. And that's always been the case. So we're paying a lot more into this. And by the time most of us retire, none of this money is going to be there. The, um, the Social Security Trust Fund is a complete lie, just 100% bullshit. The, the money, the, one of the reasons, one of the ways they got around the general welfare clause is that the, um, they don't take this money specifically for Social Security. No, no. It doesn't go right into the Social Security Trust Fund. It goes into the general revenue fund. And the general revenue fund is what the government uses for everything. 
for what you know you name it anything the government spends money on it comes from the general uh, revenue fund so this all this money goes into the general re- revenue fund they pay out money to uh, social security recipients and then they write a an IOU they issue a bond and they put that into the social security trust fund now uh, a government bond is an IOU now now if you have a government bond that could be considered an asset because you are not the government Despite what this this bullshit fantasy of we are, are of and by the people, right? You are not the government. So if I have a, a bond and I can go to the government and say, hey, pay me this, you know, redeem this bond, um, that would be an asset to me. But if the government issues a bond and puts it in a safety uh, social security lockbox, right? They can't count that as an asset because it's simultaneously their liability. It would be like you. It would be like you writing a check to yourself for like a, a million dollars. It's like, and then calling yourself a millionaire. That's not how this works. So this is all just bullshit. None of this money is there. Every dollar that they've taken in in Social Security has been immediately spent on everything. So there is nothing in that trust fund. And the only thing supporting this is that they take money from younger workers and they pay out the ones that have exited the Ponzi scheme. That's like exactly verbatim what a Ponzi scheme is, except that they won't let you opt out of this one. But just because they um, they mandate participation does not mean that it won't collapse eventually. Uh, you know, th- if the private sector can't figure out how to make a Ponzi scheme work, make damn sure that the government can't figure out how to make it work either. And just mandating participation is not going to fix it, which is why they've had to increase the the rate. And you know, we have less people working now and we're, we're, we don't start work until we're almost 30 because you got to get eight different degrees because they've um, they've devalued the, the college degree by letting everybody go to college and getting these worthless degrees. So now you need a master's and you got to work until you're 28 or study until you're 28. And that's 10 years at least of you not paying into social security. So this whole thing is a fucking unmitigated disaster that the government has created. And oh man, I'm running out of time here. Sorry. I'm, I'm trying to power through this as fast as I can, or we're coming up on about seven o'clock here. So I'm going to have to wrap pretty soon, but the other, um, probably much bigger. Oh, definitely much bigger. I think, uh, uh, Ponzi scheme that the government is running is just their day-to-day operations. Everything that you see, like the way that they, the way that they are funding the, this bubble that I just got done referencing with all these headlines, the way they do QE, the way they fund all this debt with um, the Federal Reserve just creating money out of thin air, the government issuing uh, treasury bills, that is the, the world's biggest Ponzi scheme by far. See, what happens is the, the, the treasury issues a bond or, or a treasury bill or something like that, right? You could buy one. China could buy one. Ireland could buy one. Sometimes they do, right? And they, they have different time intervals, you know, 5, 10, 20 years. When those bonds come due, it's not like um, you could go to the government and be like, here, I got like a, you know, a $100,000 treasury bill. It's due. Give me my $100,000. And the government just reaches into their pocket and pulls out a hundred grand and gives it to you. No, no. No, because they don't have any cash. I mean, Apple has more cash on hand than the federal government. What the federal government does in order to pay off your treasury bill that has matured, they issue another treasury bill to someone else, to me, okay? I pay them for that treasury bill, and then they turn around, they give that money to you, redeeming your old treasury bill that's matured. That's how it works over and over and over again. They just keep doing this to the tune of trillions of dollars. Uh, What are we at now in the national debt? 29 trillion? 
That's 29 trillion in fucking Ponzi scheme bullshit. Plus, you know, look at the Fed's balance sheet. There's another like six trillion, seven trillion on there. That that is the world's biggest Ponzi scheme. They are paying off old investors with new investors, and more 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 and more of the new investors are leaving. And pretty soon, it's going to be literally just the Federal Reserve by creating money out of thin air, buying up all of these government bonds so that they can pay off their obligations that are coming due. That is the the world's largest Ponzi scheme. It is not Bernie Madoff, and it is alive and well until it's not. I mean, just like Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme, this will come tumbling down. Now, they've been able to keep this party going a lot longer than I ever thought. I never expected this to go this long. Like, we're watching this. If you watch that debt, that national debt tick up, think about, like, I think of the the first trillion dollar, um, like, when I was born in 1984, I think we had a, a $1 trillion national debt. Before Bush took office, I think it was around four or five trillion. Now, in eight years, he doubled that to about nine something, right? And then in another eight years, Obama doubled that to 18. Enter Donald Trump, the the king of debt, the low interest rate guru, right? He loves low interest rates. He almost matched uh, Obama's debt in half the amount of time. So in one term, he put on like almost 10 trillion. I think it was nine trillion or something like that. So it's like each president is doubling the debt from the president before. And by the time Joe Biden leaves office, we're going to be at like $40 trillion in debt. I mean, assuming he does two terms. But over the next two terms, like we will be $40 trillion in Ponzi scheme debt. And I don't know what what the tipping point on this is, but I don't think we make it there. I, I just don't see it happening. So I don't know where, when this, this party ends. I don't know when that um, that heroin high, that, that monetary methadone wears off and we have um, we, we either overdose or we have to go through uh, extreme fucking withdrawals and rehab and take the pain to um, to purge the system of all this malinvestment. But it is coming, man. It, it is definitely coming. And we all need to be very, very cautious of how we approach this. So uh, I, I'm going to wrap there, guys. Enjoy your weekend. Hopefully, uh, a lot of you guys are going to join me tonight for a drink. I could really use one. Follow me on Twitter, at Pedofiction. But more importantly than that, I I really want to get our YouTube numbers up. And uh, like I said on the last episode, Justin's been busting his ass with these clips. So go, go to the YouTube channel, subscribe, and then sift through the clips, man. There's some really good shit in there. I would know because I've said it. And find your favorite clip and share it with somebody. That's what I really want you to work on this weekend. Take you know, take a couple hours when you're you're sitting around uh, doing nothing, watching TV or something, and just sift through what we got there because there's a lot of material now, and there's a lot of people out there that need to hear it. So go do that for me, and I will be back next week, Monday or Tuesday, probably Tuesday, with a brand new episode for you. And until then, you guys know the drill: just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.